iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. everyone welcome back this is the ruck from the times and the sunday times thanks once again for joining us it's monday morning we're back in studio and stephen jones is alongside me how are you steve very good indeed thank you and i'd like you to listeners to know how smart i am today yes well that is worth pointing out suited and booted two-piece suit yeah Mm -hmm. two-piece suit just for the ruck no, I just always come in the studio like this. You do, yeah. All, always looking sharp. Did you enjoy as well the fact that I introduced you as Stephen Jones? This Very is some, good. Something last week that you made the point. Stephen <laughs> Jones on the ruck. I was making the point. Well, there's two of us, you see, and that, that was that you got the right one. Yeah, there we go. Also returning is Will Kelleher. First, Hello. first time since the, the World Hello. Cup in France, Will. Yeah, and I might. I need to apologise to the listeners already, which is a good start, isn't it? Because I sound bunged up and. It's a classic, isn't it? You have two weeks off, have really refreshed, and one week back, and you're already uh, full of cold, having sat in Northampton on Friday night. But yeah, great to be back. Loving a bit of the bread and butter of the Prem. Um, so yeah, lovely to be back on the ruck. Yeah, you've been away. You had a where was it? I saw on your Instagram you were Iceland, in Iceland, which you, you should say that I should be now used to the cold. It was great. I would anyone who is thinking of doing any sort of holiday, I would definitely recommend Iceland. It is amazing. Would I you, did a geography what, degree what, and it's like a theme park. It's amazing. Fl- fly to Reykjavik. Yeah, it's only two and a half hours from London. Yeah. Same time zone. I've heard okay. it's expensive. Yeah, it, well, yes, a bit, but actually not as mental as I thought. Um, and they do happy hour, which is not happy hour, it's about happy day. It lasts <laughs> quite a long time and you can get a beer for about £5 there, which is less than London prices, isn't it? So when it's not happy hour, they're more like eight or nine, but if you like your craft beers in London, you're probably paying that anyway. So it's Very actually nice. not that crazy. Mm, okay. Yeah, okay. lovely trip, but great to be back. Well, that is the, the travel section from the <laughs> ruck. From the, I'm changing jobs now. The Times and the Sunday <laughs> Times. There's also, Steve, I think there's a joke in here somewhere. I was trying to think about this. Of We had post-World Cup, you had the Saracens players straight back in after one week, saw teams like Leicester after a couple of weeks. Mm. Some of the journalists have needed more time off, haven't they, than, uh, than the actual players themselves? Well, so the true workers have, yeah. We've got, well. got to look after yourself. You've got to look after yourself. We've got a big season to come, so we needed that 15-second um, break that the company <laughs> wanted to give us. It's well we, actually, we actually took it a little bit more, but uh, they're, they're fair play. They were really good. And really journalist good. welfare is our number one priority, Alfie, so yes. we, we always focus on that first. They yeah. stopped our money while we were away, but um, that's apart all right. from that, yeah, that's fine. I understand that. Completely. And we get extra for coming on the ruck as well, which I don't think anyone knows, which is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Do we? <laughs> Slash, definitely not. Well, Will, it's good, good to have you back. Glad that you're rested, ready to go full on back into it. On this week's episode, of course, we'll do 
our usual God or Goddess of the Week at the end of the podcast. We'll also get Steve's thoughts on 2003. You would have all seen that it was the anniversary of that 20 years on last week. Uh, mention a little bit of URC, but first up, as always, we're going to get stuck into all the Premiership action over the weekend. Okay, so another round of the Premiership in the books, boys. Where do we want to start with this? Friday night, Will, you were at Franklin's Gardens? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was quite a fun match. I was saying to you off-air beforehand that it's a funny quirk of the, the job I've got at the times where we're at the World Cup for two months and I didn't write a single match report because it was either Steve doing it or Alex. Um, so I think it was the first time I had to write a match report since the semi-final of the, the Premiership last May. <laughs> a little so, bit rusty and then obviously it was a 10, thr- tre- ten try thriller 36-33 with the result in the balance with like a minute to go and the office saying we would need it exactly on the whistle because we're printing the newspaper so that was slightly stressful um, but it was a cool game mm. um, it was interesting over the weekend we were messaging and you were saying entertaining game which obviously as you just said yeah. Northampton 36 Harlequins 33 reveals that standard of the match standard yeah. of the premiership I mean, as good, a whole is interesting like, as well good standard a good good match and some nice tries scored but it's just a funny one isn't it like I actively avoided watching a bit of rugby for a week or so after I came back from the World Cup just to reset and then you come back into it and it's funny and I, I don't want this to come across as being negative because I don't think it is I just think it's an interesting debating point of this I feel like the, the standard of the prem is so far off the top level of the stuff that we saw at the World Cup it's just an interesting thing about we watch all these players playing in the Premiership and we think oh they could do it at the next level they could be the next X, Y, Z you think it's it's quite a long way off what we saw in the Stade de France in those quarter finals and semi-finals in the final like for example the, the Northampton Quinns game on Friday night it was sort of like classic modern day Prem fair really good fun good atmosphere pretty much a full crowd both teams were fairly well stacked Quinns rotated a bit but still scored 33 points away from home and lost but that was largely due, due to the fact they completely just gave Northampton two tries one overthrown line out that Courtney Laws picked up nice hands through Pearson to Ludlam try that was shooting themselves in the foot then Quinns did it again a bit later just before half time shooting themselves in the other foot at the scrum at the scrum yeah well they, they didn't get the hook on it just popped out the tunnel or out the side missed Danny Kerr Alex Mitchell picks it up and grubbed it well grubbed it through gathered it and scored and you think that's 14 free points which they were quite annoyed about afterwards but I just thought generally across the whole thing it was just felt quite easy for both teams to score tries like Northampton scored another one off first phase from the line out Quinns one of the only times they got a rolling ball going they scored immediately like it was just quite basketball-esque I suppose and having come back from the World Cup where defence was on top a lot in those big games it's just such a contrast I just find it an interesting debating point Steve that I don't know we watch all these players playing in the Prem and you think could they make it at the top level and it's like well I suppose the proof will be in how they do in Europe really which English clubs haven't massively made a dent on for a few years is it because that's often the link isn't it mm. well I mean, England dominated Europe and I think still got the most um, titles but uh, no um, well for a start there's two things with Europe well first of all 
you're right. Some of the, the class of the teams this year, with the possible exception of Saracens at their best, is way down. Secondly, the kudos of Europe is way down as well. I mean, there's some horrendous figures that the turnover has have gone down from 76 million to 39 million. Mm. Well, I mean, so whether or not that that makes you not, not use it as a priority, I don't know. But I, I, I think... As the biggest story, not the biggest story, as the background story, the European Cup is in trouble and big trouble. I think if you take Saracens away, then you really are struggling at the moment. But it's, it's a, what do you think on the other, I don't know, wider point, I suppose, about the player development thing? Because you see some, let's say, I don't know, like Ollie Hassel Collins, not picking him out, but just using him as, as an example, who scores loads of tries for London Irish, is now mm. scoring tries for Leicester. And then has had a couple of attempts at getting into the England squad and just sort of not quite been there. Mm. And you think there'll be loads of players like that, and there have been. I mean, Ben Curry, another one like absolutely tearing up in the Prem, has had a, a little sniff of a chance in the England team and not quite got there yet. I'm sure he will get there. But how do you try and repair that gap, Steve? Or, or... First, first of all, you've got to pick the right team, and 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 then we go, we go on to another background story, and that's the lack of an A team. I mean, Hassel Collins, Curry, and hundreds of others, we would know, we would know by now how good they were if England had an A team. Very, very sad that put the England A team against Portugal, Portugal are going to be really weakened. If you want to f- get uh, a top six nations, you must restore the A six nations on Fridays, uh, on the in the match venue, wherever it may be. So, Hassel Collins almost certainly deserves a chance. Yeah. But... Steve Borthwick is, is far from the only coach who assesses his wingers on other things rather than mm. attacking ability. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought he was unbelievably impressive on the weekend. I thought he was he was he was dashing. He he, he wanted a no. He 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 was more impressive than Louis Louis Rousset. Although there that was a, that was to do with possession. But well, I'm afraid I'm afraid that real talented wings. The, the person he used to speak he used to pick before anyone now get kicked out for people who were better defenders and extra mm. fullbacks. And it it's was, a great it was shame. Actually, interesting, Johnny May spoke quite deeply about this at the World Cup. He was one of our sort of stars of the media side of the World Cup, so it's a shame he's um, put, hang his England boots up. Um, and he was talking about the fact that he, he kind of got to the point where he was saying, look, anyone can score tries at, at test match level, but can they do all the hard stuff, which is what some fans might regard as the boring stuff which is chasing kicks and being chasing box so kicks, yeah. diligent at your kick chase and your escorting and your jackling and all that other stuff which him and Elliot Daly did so amazingly well in that semi-final but neither of them hardly touched the ball which if you're an 11 year old and playing on the wing you're going I want to touch the ball and May was talking about getting that right in his own mind over the years because he always used to be that sort of mad roadrunner guy who would run halfway across the pitch looking for the ball, whereas he developed himself diligently into the uh, the other guy. And he wasn't using it as a slight on people like Henry Arundel, but I think he was helping them during the tournament understand that, that Test Match Rugby is not just about being able to score four tries or five tries on the weekend, but all that other stuff. And maybe that's the that's where the England coaches need the time to put them put that stuff into them, but they don't have that time. 
they've already had it. They've had it at the World Cup. Mm. Whereas next time they meet up, they're going to have a week and a straight into the Italy game. And it, it's going back to the point you originally made, Will. It's not about being negative about the Premiership. No, I think no. the Premiership is week in, week out, a really entertaining league. But it's an interesting question to consider how well is it preparing players for when it gets to, yeah. to uh, Test uh, Match. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the Premiership has gone down a notch, but let's not, let's not just signal it out in the sense that um, uh, for, when you're talking about wingers, for, for a start, there was always a, there's always a time in the game or there are f- three or four times in the game where teams are going through phases and then suddenly think... Bang, it's on. Here we go. Run hard, run straight, and put the wing in. They don't do that anymore because there's people are so, so obsessed with the chip kick for the wing, that, that which hardly ever comes off, incidentally, that there was a time on, on the weekend when um, Gloucester were, uh, finally got a quick ball and everyone sat up. Here we go. They kicked it to, to re-sam it. Now, actually, if someone had run hard and straight, you could have passed it to him and he would have scored. People, let's put it this way: wings get a bad shout, bad shout at the moment. I mean, the the greatest finishing winger I think I've seen, or one of them, uh, would be Rory Underwood. Rory Underwood wouldn't have got in the team today because he lacks a kicking game, and he lacks. The, he wouldn't. He wasn't a very good extra fullback. He's about five foot six as well. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's right. The mm. two that the two that I'm excited about, and one probably will end up being a Welsh capped player quite soon, and one. There's a bit of an interesting tug of war over the first. The first one, Emmanuel Faye Wabosa at Exeter, who scored in the first minute of that game on Sunday, and then talking to guys at Sale, they're really excited about Aaron Reid, who's been around for a bit, really quick. They're interested to see, I think, whether he gets a quick shout from Scotland, because he's got a Scottish dad, okay, who apparently is full Scottish very Scottish dad but he qualifies for England he's born in Chester I think he's a local-ish lad to the, to the club and they just think he's he's not just got the pace bit he's got all the other things that we've just been talking about the sort of tactical acumen and all that as well so there's two just to be interested in but yeah I wasn't intending necessarily to get onto the whole winger thing but just think it's an interesting debate we're not mm. denigrating the quality of the Prem because it's an interesting league and it's good fun I was sort of celebrating the bits that the clubs are doing, but it's just going to be intriguing over the next couple of weeks where the link comes with Europe and then tests in eight, nine weeks' time. And something we briefly mentioned on the podcast the other week, how the English teams approach Europe as well, given that we expect yeah. them to, to... It would be hard work for them, as we've seen over the last few years. Can I ask you about England back row? Because that was one of yeah. the other sto- stories to emerge from that game you were at on Friday. Ludlam injury, and actually England, quite a few injuries in that back row. Yeah, so it's suddenly piling up and this often happens after World Cups and Lions tours doesn't it that people come back and after six or after six weeks or so you suddenly are counting the numbers of people who are out injured so let's run through so Tom Curry's out for the whole season and needs he's having this week coming a, a hip operation basically so he's gone for the whole season which is really tough for him then we've got Ben Earl who Saracens have said will be out for six to eight weeks. I had heard that it could be longer than that, 12, but they have said on the record that he should be back in January. There's four games in January, so we'll see which one of those he, he's available for, if he is at all. Lewis Ludlam's hurt his ankle on Friday night. He limped off before half-time. He seemed to do it around when he scored his try, and then it kind of got worse, and you could see him sort of off-camera hobbling a lot kind of hiding himself, trying not to get exposed in defence and then eventually had to come off the field. So that's a shame for him. Then I think Tom Willis has got a little leg knock from Saturday too for Saracens. 
George Martin's got another four or five weeks with a knee problem. He seemed to pick that up, uh, a medial knee ligament strain in the warm-up matches in August, uh, but kind of managed it through the World Cup, and which actually puts his performance against South Africa into even better context because he wasn't on both legs. Um, he was amazing in that game, wasn't he? So he's a few weeks away. As is Nick Azikwe, he's a few weeks away. He'll probably be late December. And then you go into other people like Zach Mercer, who's another month or so out with his own ankle injury. Jack Willis is now ineligible, as we know, because he's in Toulouse, as is Sam Simmons, who's a name we've not heard for a while, but he can't be picked because he's in Montpellier. So where do they go from there, I suppose? It's Billy V still available. Tom Pearson had his a little cap in the August game away to Wales. Didn't make it into the World Cup squad, so he's probably got a bit of development to come. Ben Curry, as we mentioned, has been doing really well. Lots of the, I didn't see that match on the weekend, but lots of people on my social media and were telling me that he mm. closed down Finn Russell really well in that game. And then it's really intriguing what they do with Alex Dombrand, who last year, no. or this year, was the number eight every week and then didn't make the squad, did he? So... Lots of options, loads of back row. I mean, six, seven years ago, England would be desperate for about three of these, let alone the sort of seven or eight I've mentioned, nine or ten. But yeah, it's going to be interesting because also Courtney Laws has retired. And I think the very last point on that is I do wonder, this is just something to throw out there, if they do have a slight crisis, would they just say to Courtney, look, come on, mate, can you just play the Six Nations and that'll be it? Like... I know you've retired, but you can earn a nice packet. It's twenty three grand a game, mate. Your kids will be all right for a few weeks. Like he might just go, look, come on, I'm done. This is it. But he was so good again on Friday, and like it was. I think David Flatman tweeted something about the way he jackals. It looks like a giraffe dipping for water. Like he's got such a wide base and dips his head down and take. He got a couple of turnovers own line. He was amazing. So there's something for our commenters and social media friends. Courtney Laws to come back out of retirement. That's not based on information, but uh, something to throw out there. There you go. Well, I think the uh, what person comes into the equation now very much is Nick Ezekwe because Courtney was gave them the option, a line-out option. If your six is not a line-out factor, then you really it really affects your, your selection in the second row. He's a really, really good player and a tremendous line-out forward, especially in the opposition throw. I think he gets into the equation. Obviously, he's got he's got he's got to get fit. Someone's got to be fit, and maybe it'll be him. I think George Martin is a massive, massive contender and hugely important because if he gets into form, he is one guy that looks like he could become an established, I mean, a real international forward, not a sort of half international forward who's all right now and again, and the fans love him, but actually he's not really really hard enough. He he is a real contender. Ben Curry's going to have to improve because I don't think they thought he was in the class of Tom Curry when the both of them were, were available. also think that um, Alex Dombrandt is now n- not in the picture. I don't think I think he was exposed when he, when he played, and I don't think he is, is in the picture. It really is looking slightly hairy and slightly... Not the cupboard's not bare, but it's one of those things where the agree- ingredients in the cupboard, what sort of combination are you going to use them in? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking as well, because I know... You mentioned him there, Will, but Sam Underhill was good in the bronze medal match, has, has looked good for Bath. And you think yeah. back to England's best time under Eddie Jones was him in that back row. But then I agree with what you just say, Stephen, yeah. that you've got to think of the makeup of that back row now because they don't have that big ball carrier necessarily at number eight. How would 
Underhill Unless that guy's Billy comes sorry, back Sorry, if Underhill is 90% or more, he's bound, he must play. You get, you'd get go for him. Yeah, bound to play. Mm. I mean, I'm just saying Bob, uh, Ben Curry's a very, very fine player, but if Underhill is anything like, he's got to come in. Mm. Maybe we just keep on thinking, but looking back and thinking and judging him as he was against New Zealand in, in, in Japan, where he was just, I mean, I gave him 10 out of 10. He's unbelievable. If he can get anywhere near that, though, he's still got to come back. Mm. I suppose the thing is, we've still got ten, nine weeks until England play away in Italy, so a lot can change. But yeah, it's just quite an interesting theme that's developing, I suppose. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it is fascinating, particularly when you look at that back row, the amount of players out, but also still the amount of options that England do have. So Northampton Harlequins, we've kind of mentioned that. I think you're right, Will. Harlequins sloppy in in their 22 with a couple of those tries. Tommy Freeman at 13 as well. That's quite an interesting one. Is interesting too. Again, let's see what happens, but there's lots of areas that are up for grabs with England. Probably scrum half centre, back three, there's loads with retirements and everything else. Prop, I mean, there's quite a lot of change that will come there, but... With Joe Marchant now not being available, who was kind of the nailed-on 13, not mm. entirely sure what the, the history... Uh, sorry, the future will be with Manu Tuolangi either. Ollie Lawrence has been incredible. But, yeah, you're thinking if England want to go sort of full biff in the midfield, Lawrence and Freeman could end up being an interesting option. I mean, Freeman's been pretty good at 13, hasn't he? Yeah. It'd be great. Uh, when he was he was 14 last year and uh, lost, lost his momentum a bit, and I spoke to people about him, and they said the thing is with Tommy... He's bloody. He's brilliant at n- not not being obsessed with what the coaches tell him. When he gets the ball, he can choose the options. He can look up and play off the cuff. I'm thinking, God Almighty, these days they'll, 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 you've got less likely to be in the team than you are than, than, you, than you are to be selected. For God's sake, mate, conform to what they tell you. Otherwise, you've had it. Uh, let's mention the other Friday night game as well. Sale eleven, Bath nine. I know that TV matches get selected quite ahead of exactly knowing how things are going to stand. I thought it was a real shame that this wasn't the TV match, actually, of the top two in the yeah, league yeah. going head-to-head. And decent win for Sale. I mean, I know Bath ended up losing, but it's quite a rotated team. And That's quite, yeah. Sale up there in Manchester and not a side that lose often. I'd imagine Bath would be pretty happy with I think maybe how they push them. There's possibly more so for Bath than Quinns, but there's something in taking some points home with you like lots of teams are not going to enjoy going to sale this season as lots haven't in the past I don't know quite what it is but there's something about oh no it's sale away on a Friday night that sort of gets people a bit and like, you see players joking about it after they've retired of like oh if there was ever a point to pick up a little hamstring injury it was either Newcastle or sale away I don't know what it is but there's something about like oh I just don't really enjoy going there so taking the bonus point back home with that is pretty good especially because they didn't play their full strength team and we again Alfie were talking about this off air and I know you mentioned it on Rucks when I haven't been around but we've already had seven games of the Prem and before Christmas or well after the New Year games we're going to be more than halfway through the league in terms of number of matches played so if you're not going to win games you've got to pick up something Mm. and so actually Quinn's taking two from Northampton with a bonus point try and finishing within seven and then Bath taking one from Sale That, that might end up being important to get the third and fourth spot and Steve from a Sale perspective I already look at 22nd of December them against Saracens at the moment I would suggest it looks like they're still the best two teams in the league. It's going to be fascinating, mm. that match-up, to see how Sale have come on after that final defeat last season. Yeah, yes, and also I, I did omit, omit Sale when I was speaking about possible European contenders. Mm. I think Sale can be, 
if they want to be. I mean, whether or not they'll really give it everything, I don't know, because they're still a, a club trying to st- take the last few steps. But no, that'll be that'll be a great game, and uh, that'll be the day when the Premiership shows that it, they can still bring off, you know, great games, classic games, big crowds, tough action, and. Um, Th- th- that will be a great game, but um, there'll, there'll be a few not so good ones between now and then. Sadly, can I also just give props to Sale for selling loads of tickets as well? Like yeah. they, I think the day before the game or the day of the game, they said they sold ninety percent of their tickets, which is a hell of a good effort on a Friday night. That's always been a struggle for them. It's funny because sometimes there's been a perception that they would prefer to play on Fridays or Sundays to avoid football and City and United, but I think actually. For all fans, three o'clock on a Saturday is just a better occasion to go to. So for them to get sort of nine or so thousand on a Friday night is really good. And it just shows that when you market it properly and you sell the club and you start winning on the field, that it Mm. actually does come, doesn't it? And I feel like they've done loads of really good work. Like we've spoken to guys at Sale a lot on the pod because they're really good at offering themselves up for stuff and talking about themselves and that's just really positive and I, I like the fact that it's actually working for them so I agree good well, on them I agree and um, also Sail, Sail Sharks ladies won um, in the, yeah. in the yesterday beat Quinns and beat Quinns which is a great win yeah. and I just, I just think they're, if everyone had the energy and the, uh, the, the drive and, and the imagination of Sail who have to have it because you know when you're in Manchester, it's not like you're in Leicester and you're the, the, the you, or, or or Bath and you're the only game in town. Well, there's a lot of other games there, and I, I've always loved Sale. I've always loved going there. The, the other th- thing too about the Sale women that you mentioned, Steve, is that I remember going up and doing a sort of behind the scenes piece with them about nine months ago, six, seven, eight months ago, and it, it was around that time where the Sale women had kind of lost their their license to play yeah. in the next season. They weren't yeah. sure. Yeah. So the fact that they've basically come back from that and yeah, beaten Quinn sure. to a pretty sure. regularly up there and in finals and winning titles is sure. an amazing effort, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, and again, it was something we mentioned last week, but I know, I can't remember the exact figure they put on it the other week for their kind of derby game, in inverted yeah. commas, against Newcastle, but there seems to be a kind of northern identity to that team, and then yeah. you combine that with the fact that they're winning probably the fact they're quite accessible as well in that I think they do quite a good job of getting their stories told. It feels like that they're building nicely, that something pretty good is happening up there. Should we move on to the Saturday games in the Prem? Uh, Saracens 39, Bristol 31. Fifth defeat in a row for Bristol, but a much improved performance. There were moments in that game where you wondered if they were going to get a massive, massive upset against Saracens, who conversely have now won their fifth in a row, Steve. Yeah, look, that. Bristol, I think, are going to be okay. Uh, Vakatawa is a little bit more difficult to to get into to sort of phase into the team than um, the guys that, than Pietau with the guys they had last year. I think they'll be okay. I still think they're a great club. And Saracens, you know, we heard in Gloucester people saying, "Hey, Bristol are trailing at Sar- uh, Bristol are winning at Saracens only a few minutes to go." Let's be fair, it wasn't any surprise when we heard that Saracens had won in the end. But mm. I, I just think the two great clubs in, in different ways. And um, I, I just think these both of them will be the core of a revival in the Premiership, if, if there is to be one. And I think that um, in the end, I think Bristol will be mid-table. What, what, what do you make of Bristol, Alfie? You're a man of Bristol. Mm. That's Bristol in your heart and your soul. Yeah. But I find it funny. It was so... 
let's spool back, I don't know, three or four years and Bristol with all the like exciting team coming up, loads of ambition, loads of marketing and telling their stories and changing their brand and bringing in Pat Lamb, probably the, one of the best paid coaches in the world, let alone in club rugby. And he was quite admirably talking about we're not just here to compete, we're not here to just stay up, we want to be in the Champions Cup, then we want to win the league. They nearly did. They completely bottled it against Quinns in that Bristol ball game. And it kind of feels like it's all sort of turned a bit or dipped off or yeah. they had a lot of players leave. They had that mistake over the salary cap, which meant quite a lot of people left. And I don't know, it feels fun. like we we're already, as we said earlier, seven games into the Prem. They're sitting in eight. And I know it's tight, but Saracens have already got double the amount of points of, uh, as they do. They snuck into the Champions Cup because Irish basically don't exist anymore. So they got the eighth place, didn't they? And you just sort of think a club of that ambition and filling out that ground quite a lot, they kind of need to be pushing higher, do they not? Mm, yeah. yeah, it's it's a, yeah. it's a funny one with Bristol because I think there's part of the fan base that will remember the days that actually weren't that long ago where yeah. they were struggling to get out of the championship, losing in playoff finals all the time, couldn't get into the premiership and then Pat came in, established them as a premiership team, won the Challenge Cup, which I think, I know it's not the Champions Cup, but was significant for the club, yeah, winning yeah, winning meaningful silverware. They finished top of the table in the Premiership, then that semi-final against Quinns happened. And you, but then you, so on the one hand, you've got that context of, I think, fans still being appreciative of where they are now compared to where mm. they once were. But you also can't get away from the fact that if this season does look like it's going to be a struggle for Bristol, it's then the third season in a row where you can quite legitimately question what progress, if any, has been made. And I think that's when the questions for Pat and for the hierarchy at the club get a little bit more awkward. It'll be yeah. interesting to see how the fans react because up until this point, they've still all pretty much been on board. The mm. attendances at Bristol have always been pretty good. I think season tickets, they maybe struggled a little bit more this year, but generally it's been pretty good. What happens if it's another a third year of... It just not being quite as good as people probably expect. Yeah. I think it's the interesting. Thing. But it's don't forget it's it's still in terms of rugby clubs in the city the biggest rugby yeah, city yeah. in Britain. And uh, the only thing the trouble is, I think they need the European Cup like a hole in the head because yeah. or they got in it, but now what are they what are they going to do? Pat Pat Lamb's not the sort of guy to field the second team, but he may have to because they haven't got a possibility of winning the Investec Cup, <laughs> as the Heineken Cup is now called. Mm. Uh, but um, uh, on the other hand, you don't want to start losing by 30 points when your second team's there. So that is a tough one. That really is a tough one. Let's move on to the other Saturday game. Were you at Gloucester, Steve? Oh, thank you. Nice to have a keen reader in charge. <laughs> yeah. Were you at Gloucester, Steve? Yeah, I was, yeah. Oh, exactly. I was teeing you up for it. Okay, you're there right. You okay. Yeah. Steve, you were at Gloucester. Oh, it was, yeah. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> what do you make of it? Um, I always go to Gloucester, and uh, you can look back in the cuttings if you want. After a big absence or after a World Cup, I go to Gloucester because it turns you back on to what the whole thing is all about. Half time on Saturday, we turned to each other and thought, God, what the heck? let's go to the pub. Gloucester are absolutely not Gloucester. Um, what you expect when you go there is, is fire and fury. They tried their best, but they are totally underweighted up front to take part in the Premiership game like this. They've lost four times at home in conse consecutive seasons to Leicester. They've lost three games on, on King's home this year. I mean, t t the first 20 years I watched Gloucester, I probably saw them lose three times on King's home in 20 years. And there is something seriously wrong there. And um, it was the Ed Slater Cup match. And Leicester thoroughly deserved to win. They, they, they came strong. 
after a dismal first half. But to go to King's home and you don't have to play very well to beat Gloucester is a shocker. I, I got a huge respect for the people in charge at Gloucester, but something that uh, they've they need they're four forward short the other week steve i think we were talking about gloucester and we we're saying all right results aren't good but you can kind of see what they're trying to do there seems like they're trying to expand the game a little bit more has, has your view changed having watched them on the weekend well the, the, you can expand the game when you've got quick foot, front football to to use mm. you can't expand the game when you're going backwards all, all the time you know it's a funny one isn't it especially now we've got a 10 team prem but we're sort of saying i think that Eight of them are about a similar standard. Seven or eight are, are really quite even. So someone's going to have to finish seventh, eighth, and ninth, aren't they? And they mm. might not actually have had a really terrible season. That's just the competitive nature and the closeness of it. But when you, I, I feel like I may be wrongly, but uh, reductively put Bath and Gloucester into the same pot of great clubs that have not been performing at their best for quite a long time. Mm. And they have these little mini peaks. And they often have quite good squads. And you look across them and you go, oh, there you go. If they get all of them together on the field, that's a good 23, a good 15. Lots of internationals all over the place. And there's just always something not quite there. And really, it's oddly intangible thing. That's it, It's not the quality of the coaches, maybe. It's not the quality of the squad, maybe. They're, just, and they're never getting up to that height. Whereas sometimes, Leicester go up and win the league. Quinns go up and win the league. And Bath and Gloucester are just sort of never doing that. And that's been 20 years, hasn't it? And then on the mention of it being a 10-team league and the fact that by the time we get to Christmas and the New Year, over half the fixtures would have been played, you even mm. looked at Leicester and you feel like, well, maybe things are, are starting to click for them, winning 38-20 on the weekend against Gloucester. They can definitely still, obviously, make top four, but you kind of look at things. And so we've played seven games already. Pretty soon after next weekend, there'll be... 10 left you don't have a, if you are one of those clubs that have started the league slowly you don't have a huge amount of wiggle room, on with it, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely right absolutely right it's, but that's quite fun. good and, I, and, mm. somewhat, and I know so it's it's all different isn't it with this 10 team league but I actually don't mind that that you've got to be good for most of the season you can't have a bad three months and then just rely on April May and rattle up a bit like Wasps always used to do way back and also, there's no hardly any in, uh, overlap with the Six Nations at all, is there? There's maybe one game, I think, in that period. So after the last game in January, they don't play till March. So you're really into it. Like you can't, you can't be, a, a, you can't afford to have a bad festive period. Or some of some teams might have already lost too many. Like yeah, Bristol, Gloucester. You're looking at that. They're on eleven and twelve points. Only won two out of seven. And you think already that's looking like a tough task. And if we want a really exciting competitive drama filled league I, th I don't think that's a bad thing yeah let's finish with the Sunday match Newcastle 14 Exeter 20 Exeter's first premiership away win in 414 days Steve long overdue top stat another heartbreaking one for, for the Falcons though I think they, they would have looked at this one particularly of how that game went at certain periods and thought that they might finally get themselves their first win of the season would have been great and then the Falcons team has changed um, incredibly for this season it, it was quite um, it, the same E or the same names for a long, long time. Uh, it was a game where you think, uh, what a great, it could have lifted the whole club. I mean, mm -hmm. they have got a tradition of once they get a win or two, they can carry on. Uh, but um, I think that they're in a state of flux. I think the, 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 the sort of permanency of the Dean, Dean, Dean Richards era suited them in a way. Um, but uh, again, 
you don't want to... You think if, if, say, Bristol or Gloucester keep losing, it'll be disastrous. But, in fact, long-term, they'll still keep their traditional strength. You don't want Newcastle to keep losing because, you know, you might lose the bottom of it a little bit. You worry about the impact on rugby in the city, don't you? If, yes, if, you they, do. if they keep having a team. Of course, you, of course that, you do. Of course you do. I feel a bit for Alex Codling. So he's clearly a really good young coach because uh, last Monday, the reason why I wasn't on the ruck was because I was back in Paris hilariously. After taking some time off, I went back to Paris immediately. Um, and we, were, we were invited to the top 14 awards by the uh, Ligue Nationale de Rugby, LNR. That's my French accent. I've been working on that, Alfie. That's a whole two, mu- two yeah. months in France is <laughs> yeah, exactly. what, what gets you that. Uh, Pression, see we play, yeah. But he, he, as part of the Oyonnax coaching team, won, they had an award for like the coaching team of the year with Joel Abt, who people will remember, who used to play for in the Prem yep. a few years back. So he's clearly a really good coach, and he looked a bit crestfallen on the telly after the game, talking about it, just going like, oh, we're so nearly there, and it just would have lifted everything. And you look at a couple of their other, sorry to interrupt, home results this year, 14-18 to Gloucester, 14-16 yeah. to Northampton, now 14-20 to Exeter. It's like Kingston Park was often quite a difficult place to go. You feel mm. like it still is, but they're just not quite, yeah, get like something's just not quite clicking. And I remember we talked about Bath a bit on on the pod already, but they had a season like this. What two seasons ago, where Stuart Hooper couldn't win, and then they they snuck one, I think, against Quinns around Decembery time, and so and like they didn't they didn't end up finishing fourth or something. But that sort of went. Oh, thank God, we've done one. So they they will do one at some point, but it doesn't look brilliant being naught from seven, does it? But yeah, I think everyone just hopes that it can start clicking there because th- we know that they're doing it on a different budget from everyone else. They're not spending as much as Saracens, Bristol and the teams up the top. So can they be expected to be up in the top four or five? Probably not. But I think it, it's it's better for the league if they if they start sneaking a couple of these. The other thing I want to say, though, about Exeter, on the flip side, good on them. As you said, first away win in 13 months, 400-odd days, 414 you have on my sheet here. Good stat. And it seemed like they like a bus trip home. I don't think they got the bus. They flew this time because it's got quite a long way, isn't it? But um, I just quite like the fact that they've regened the team. I know Al Dimmitt was talking about extra 3.0 that Rugby World have um, termed them as. I just... I'm finding some enjoyment in watching them almost like... It's a bit like... Do you remember in Football Manager when you get the regen players? If you play it too long... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You get like the new Patrick Vieira or someone. It almost feels like they're getting these new guys who are filling the holes that people like Ian Witten and Phil Dolman and all those lads, Steno, left in the past. And they're doing really well already. They're almost ahead of schedule with some of these Welsh lads and uni boys. And then they've still got quality and people like Ethan Roots that they've picked up and Jacques mm. Vermeulen's knocking about and Henry Slade's although one of his kicks was awful did you see that right in front of the post and he completely missed it to he, the had, he did some great he had a 50-22 which was brilliant off he the had wrong a, foot yeah. a few other moments that weren't and also just the final point and this going back to the point we made already of it being a shorter season Exeter haven't been great away but they have now picked up a win and they do mm. look good at home and you feel like it's one of those seasons Steve where <laughs> if a team can win basically all their home games pick up a couple of away wins that m- may well be enough for them to get in the top four oh, they're quite happy it's also great news for Welsh rugby because in the um, Wales development processes are hopeless and uh, or at least they, they've been hopeless but in the, in the team the squad that Exeter have announced a long squad for the European Cup there are nine Welsh players in it so, how good is that for, for Wales? Yeah. 
I was investigating last week and, and did a piece on the weekend, um, which they gave real big billing to. With it is on the bottom of page 133. I was assuming that when the league stabilizes, if it stabilizes immediately, they'll start building up the numbers again. There's no chance. They do, they do not want to know about. It'll be a ten team league. If anyone thinks that the promotion and relegation and, and the championship two are going to come into being very soon, wrong. The 10-team league is something that's happened in dire emergency. It is absolutely pathetic that they're not going to... You've got to build it back up again. You get five games per week in what's meant to be a big league. What good is that for TV, sponsors, fans, for, for, for bringing new players in? It's a mini league. It's a league light. I cannot believe, I couldn't believe my ears when they said, oh, no, we're going to go for 10. They want to split the money only 10 ways, OK? And they said, oh, as, as Will said, there's no, there's no doubling of fixtures in the Six Nations. Actually, some of the fixtures in the Six Nations are fine because you'd be able to, you can play all the others. But just to do it to divvy up the money only 10 ways is absolutely disgraceful. They should be now having a party working not on anything else, but getting two at least minimum teams back in the league. They should take the first two teams in the championship this season and put them in no matter what. A 10-team league is a joke. So I know you said you wanted the last word, but just to to add to your um, frustration there, Steve, I think there's going to be a... or there are conversations already that are a knock-on of the Prem being small about what the Champions Cup looks like because we've got a situation now where eight of the ten are in the Champions Cup, which is way too many, clearly. And you can see the French looking across and going, what the hell's that all about? And I think, don't rule... I know we (laughs) the Champions Cup format has been a a bone of contention for a while, and it's it's sort of sold sold a bit, but it's still confusing. We'll sort of talk it through properly next week when we're talking about that. But don't rule out that changing again and being a shorter competition with fewer teams, trying to be more elite, and there being a recalibration of who's in from each of the leagues and it not being even because the te- the Prem is a 10-team league you quite easily say that the French will go well you can have five of course you could yeah of course you we'll could we'll have seven and yeah. we'll have six or seven from the URC and I'm terrible at maths but essentially making it into a 20-team tournament or something rather than 24 so that I think could end up being a knock-on of it but yeah mm. I-, I actually don't mind the 10-team the- the just purely on its own thing of I think you mentioned the other week, Alfie, of there being an even amount of games every week, but if that was 12, that's fine. I think it, it solves some of the stuff that was annoying about Premiership, uh, sorry, England players particularly missing about 11 matches in the season um, and helps sell tickets. But then you've already seen teams announcing extra games. So you've got Northampton playing against the Stormers in the Six Nations and stuff like that. So they're desperate for more games. But yeah, the Premiership 2 thing's been rejected by the Championship. So yeah, we mentioned that the other week. It's, yeah... Who knows what will end up happening, but yeah, it, it's it's suboptimal, let's say, which is an RFU favourite phrase. Which is <laughs> probably <they> should know. <laughs> <laughs> which is probably putting it lightly, but we'll park the Prem chat there uh, for the time being. Next up, we will name our God or Goddess of the Week. We'll mention the URC and also I want to get Steve's thoughts on twenty years on from that epic World Cup victory in two thousand As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Steve, no one listening, I think it would have escaped them that last week it marked 20 years since 2003, England's famous and only World Cup victory. I was very interested in your piece about how Essentially, and it's something we hear quite a lot from players at the time, coaches, journalists like yourself who covered the team, the fact that it's never really been capitalised on from an RFU and English rugby point of view. Well, history will judge it harshly. I mean, it's just, it, it's, I can't believe it, it happened, but I mean, and I was actually there, but less than a year after the final, Sir Clive Woodward, the, the magician behind it all, don't let anyone tell you different, left left his post. I mean, you know, it, and for nothing, for, for, to go nowhere. It was going to be a, a dominance. They were so good in that in that tournament. Brilliant against Ireland in the Grand Slam match a few months before. Smashed uh, smashed Australia, beat New Zealand away, and then in in, in you know, didn't play at their best in the tournament. But funny, the odd thing is about that the great hero Johnny Wilkinson. He wasn't actually that brilliant in the in that World Cup, but they won it. And not only that, but they they achieved what Sir Clive always says was the greater. And they and that was they won twelve games in succession against the big three Southern Hemisphere teams, home and away. Now that's never been done before, and it'll never be done again. That's how good they were. They had probably twelve leaders in the team. Quiet guy like Trevor Woodman, who's a great prop. He wasn't a leader. Everybody else was a leader. They were all leaders almost. And that should have been the start of of, of everything. It was where people would pay, like someone paid half a million pounds for. Dorian West's replacement jersey, which he never wore. That was the sort of thing it was. It was it was unbelievable. The RFU, as soon as that trophy was host, hoisted by Johnson, should have been laying down in tablets of stone the retention blueprint. Woodward had it. He, 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 he always said to me, forget that. We're going to take it on. We're going to make this better, that better, that better. Then he realised that actually the RFU, taking it in turns... They gave Woodward access to players. They gave him money for the World Cup. Then they thought, actually, they said, it's someone else's turn now. Players and the and the clubs, they want their turn. And basically, all his all his um, he was given no more budget. He didn't know where the players would be. And he, in, in a fit of rage, which he regrets, he he buzzed, he, he, he left. Since then, they've got the coaching wrong every time. Every time with the that's not bring Steve Borthwick's regime into that because it's so early. But um, they, they, they mucked it up every time. They reached two finals, World Cup finals, but actually 
bizarrely, we found out on those occasions that you can reach the final by not being that great, which you can. And since then, the RFU have bungled three priceless opportunities to bring Sir Clive back as head of professional rugby. That is exactly what he should be. People say, no, he's he's been out of it for too long. You go and listen to him. Woodward is still a wizard and a magician, and he should be there. Do you think even still now? Oh, t- no 20 question. 20 years later? Absolutely no question. Mm. Do, do, you know, do you know one of the things he does now? He started a, um, a ski school in France. What do you know about skiing? No, the ski school is the headquarters of the French Olympic ski team. No, that's Woodward for you. It is an interesting thing. We talked about this, actually, maybe negatively, at the last World Cup just gone. I feel like more recently, teams that have won the World Cup have then gone round the world telling everyone else what to do. New Zealand were the experts at dictating terms, weren't they, once they were champions and the number one side in the world. And England mm. never did that. No, they didn't. They never capitalised it at all. It went off a cliff almost immediately after that World Cup win. Mm. There you go. But the thing is, New Zealand and South Africa, they had a certain way of playing, a definitive way of playing, and, and therefore were able to say, well, this is the best way to play the game. England didn't have a definitive way of playing. They were just clever and they did it game by game. And and so and also the other thing is England have got no no status on the world stage to say that, you know. They, no. Um or certainly don't but, anymore. But, but, but anyway, so there was a time when he was gonna come back and um he was gonna be voted in because that two people had a vote at Twickenham, chairman and the chief executive, and the chairman had the casting vote. He was very, very Big on having Sir Clive there. Right at the last minute, the the, the uh, RFU managed to get on the panel of two, a third man, John Spencer, who was anti-Clive, so Clive didn't get the job. Well, great memories of 2003 anyway, even if they haven't exactly been built upon from an England point of view. A uh, quick bit on the URC, then we'll get into God or Goddess. There were two cracking games on the Friday night. I don't know if anyone saw this. Cardiff 31, Stormers 24, which went right down to the wire. Cardiff scoring a try late on to win it. And then Edinburgh 22, Benetton 24. Uh, Edinburgh with a long-range drop goal to try and win it at the end that faded wide. So a brilliant win for Benetton, although Edinburgh, I think, will look back at that game. I was messaging our very own Mark Palmer, in, in fact, on Saturday, who's saying, yeah, Edinburgh will probably be kicking themselves there. The other thing I just wanted to mention, Will and Steve, was Glasgow now top, so it's still pretty good news for the Scottish team. In particular from there, and those of you should go pick up a copy of The Times or go on to The Times online to read Mark Palmer's piece about Glasgow, because it was their fourth choice scrum half, Sean Kennedy, who hadn't played, I think, since about 2021, hadn't scored a try for ages. Well, he did both of those things at the weekend because Ali Price has been sent on loan to Edinburgh. George Horn and Jamie, uh, Jamie Doby are then both injured. So Sean Kennedy came in. What, retu- what a return, leading them to victory over Ulster, 33-20. Fourth choice scrum half comes in, former Scotland Sevens player as well, one of those guys that's probably always a little bit uncertain about where his career is heading or what the future holds and taking that opportunity. Well, first of all, Sean Candy could, if, if only he had a French qualification, he'd come in for Antoine Dupont in the French team. Yeah. I'll give you some of the other scores um about the URC, and I'll leave it without comment. Lions 61, Zebra 19, Bulls 53, Connaught 26, Sharks 69, Dragons 14. It is an unwieldy competition which can't, will not last more than a few more years because no one takes their players away from home. They, they just... And um, so you could always get, for instance, Cardiff playing... playing uh, a weakened team, uh, well, not that much of a weakened team, but Cardiff had a good win, I'm not knocking them. Otherwise, 
no one is taking the team down there. Yeah, we won't mm. be seeing Johnny Sexton's successor playing down there or a lot of the Irish team. <coughs> it is a sec- second team away competition. First team will always win, win and it is unwieldy. It cannot work. Domestic, A domestic league is a domestic league. This is not it. Do you know what? Sort of, we maybe don't have time to properly get onto this in that if you compare, say, the Premiership and the URC at the moment, I find it really interesting. I think week in, week out, regular season, the Premiership is quite comfortably the stronger league in terms of the competitiveness of the games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. As you've mentioned, the hmm. nature of the travelling in the URC, it's quite a hard regular season to follow. But then I would say if you look at the culmination in the competition over the last few years, there's maybe always been a sense in the Premiership that it's... a kind of inevitable you kind of feel like you know certainly the two teams that are going to get to the final whereas Mm. I think the URC actually has had some really exciting finals and semi-finals the ideal thing is you want to have both right you want a really good regular season and a great final series and maybe I don't know do you see what I'm getting at in terms of Premiership week in week out I think is great but maybe towards the end of the season hasn't always lived up to the billing and the URC is almost the opposite of that yeah I think it really helped the URC that the South African team started to beat Leinster. Leinster haven't won that title for a couple of years now. When they, It was a bit like the Crusaders in Super Rugby, where it was sort of theirs by default every year. So that's helped. But, so that's added a bit of jeopardy to the end of the season. But as you say, I don't know, I'm, I am a rugby fan and I don't find myself being drawn to tuning into any of it, ever. Which is a shame, because there's lots of brilliant players in it. And we are intrigued about lots of rugby all over the place but you just as you've read out some of those score lines I don't feel like there's sort of almost any interest in watching the Sharks beat the Dragons 69-14 and and quite a lot it's a shame and they've tried to revamp it with derbies and all that more derbies than normal games and all that sort of thing but there's not a lot of it that you feel like is appointment to view let's say Mm. but just just, before we go on to Gordon Goodness there is another point and that is that South Africans, uh, their rugby's booming, and if they get home games or or they're going to win their home games, if the draw draw fits them correctly, there is every chance this year or next year of the final being between two South African teams. Only Leinster, I think, could possibly stop that. So you've got to the final then is going to have to be in South Africa. You can't get them eight thousand miles to, to play the final. So you're watching two South African teams play. And Wales and Scotland and Italy and, and Ireland will all be back at home watching on TV thinking, what the hell's happened to our league, our domestic league? Mm. There's, I feel like there's a while... I was talking about this, this a former player on Friday who shall remain un, unnamed. But it's amazing, isn't it, to think a few years on that the European clubs have given South Africa the most extraordinary leg up oh, absolutely. in history. Yeah. Like South Africa weren't playing rugby at all. It was COVID. They decided not to play and they didn't have a league they had binned off super rugby they were completely on their own and they went oh come and play with us and now they're still the best team in the world they're growing all the time I mean who knows they could grow again and win three world cups in a row you just think amazing, we probably man. enjoy the fact that South Africa back like it was a bit sad when they were rubbish in 2016-17 and would come up to Wales and you didn't know who half the team were and they were terrible but it is amazing, isn't it, to think that... Unintended consequences. Unintended consequences. Absolutely. The poor Scottish and Welsh are going like, oh my God, what have we done? Yeah. <laughs> like, also, all we got in return, there's a lot of abusive South African yeah. half-wits on social media. <laughs>
All right, well, let's finish it off. As I said, yeah, I find it funny because I agree with you both on generally the URC, but I do find when it comes to those last couple of matches of the season, they've always been quite yeah. good. But I know that's not enough to sustain Alfie's it. Alfie's obviously been signed to commentary for the last <laughs> few games. I wish, Steve, if anyone's, if anyone's listening, available. <laughs> sorry, sorry, but it's a bit, but do you not think that's a bit like the Champions Cup too? Like, yeah, there's no, quite totally. a lot of the pool yeah, stages yeah, yeah, yeah. where you just go, uh, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, Bristol, no, Leon, do we care? Yeah, and then it gets to April, and you go, oh, hang on, it's Toulouse against Munster, and this we've, is brilliant, and we've had some of the best finals in the Champions yeah. Cup for, yeah. over the last few years. Yeah, totally. No, it's, it's quite a good comparison. Let's finish it. I feel like it's the sort of thing we could probably be going back and forth on for ages. But end of the podcast, God or Goddess. Uh, Will, you want to oh, start us you've, off? You've done me like a kipper there. Do okay. you want me to go then? Sure. No. I'll, I'll, you go and I'll go and then you can... Okay, right, we'll, get, we'll give Will a okay. chance to, to, to think of one. Um, I've only had a week back, lads, come on. <laughs> I'm going to go for Damien Penno, the French winger who, on his home debut for Bordeaux, four tries in the first half against Perpignan, already the top try scorer in the league in just three appearances. I mean, we'd have all seen him at the World Cup. One of the best wingers in the world, and that is one heck of a way to announce yourself. So Damien Penno uh, gets my vote. Steve? I'm going to go a different sort of player. Uh, as I've been to Gloucester, and I love what Gloucester stands for. I'm going to go for Ed Slater. He was bravely um, present on the weekend to see the Slater Cup. He's been courageous. He's been brave. He's been a great spokesman. He was a great player and a fantastic bloke. And uh, God bless him and his, and his battle. Uh, that's a really good one. That, mine's going to be far less sort of uh, important than that. Um, but I th- so honourable mention to Henry Arundel, who scored another try for Racing. Um, he, he possibly <laughs> needs to up his defensive work, but he's got time to do that. And I also saw Sia Khaleesi dancing with his new fans after they won the Racing won on the weekend. But I think mine's going to go to. I mentioned it slightly earlier. Um, and maybe wasn't the most marquee result of the weekend, but I just quite like the way that Rob Baxter's regrow. He sort of raised everything to the ground, whether yeah, yeah. it was because of, well, it was a lot of it was to do with contractual reasons and all that that he had to get rid of basically the whole squad that won the Champions Cup three years ago. But he's just such a clever coach and player developer. He's canny in his signings, and they look like they're growing something really good there. So, good of the week for Rob Baxter up at Exeter. It's well, a good one. Three good nominations. Ed Slater, though, I think, Steve, you're right there. He can be our God of the Week this week. Thank you for listening. This has been The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. We'll be back with you next week. Make sure you follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcast from and stay up to date with all the latest rugby news with Will, Steve, Alex, all the team on The Times online and in the paper every day. We'll see you next week. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.